Hello and welcome to Recap, Per Capita's research and policy podcast where we examine inequality and unpack our latest work in our fight for a fairer Australia. We're coming to you from the lands of the Wurundjeri Woiwurrung people of the Kulin Nation, whose lands were never ceded, and we pay our respects to their elders past and present. I'm your host, Emma Dawson, Executive Director at Per Capita, and this week I'm joined by our research associate, Sarah McKenzie. Sarah, welcome to Recap. Hey, Emma. Sarah, you're joining the show today to talk about your latest report, which is called Towards Fairness and Security, Reforming Casual Employment in Australia. But before we get on to that report, this is your first time on the show, so let's find out a little bit about you and what you do at Per Capita. Um, so I've I've been with Per Capita for just over a year now. Um, as you said, I'm a research associate and I mostly work in um, industrial relations area. My, my background, I, I come from the trade union world. Um, I used to be a theatre technician and uh, a member of my union there um, and uh, got really interested in industrial relations um, in that early kind of part of my career. Um, and um interested in how, how research affects policy. Yeah, and I, I identified a fellow traveller when I first interviewed you, being a former theatre kid myself. A theatre person, <laughs> yeah. The mighty M-E-double-A. Um, <laughs> and you've really brought an, a, an understanding of um, of industrial relations issues from the shop floor but right through to your, your work, your legal qualifications and otherwise. Um, Sarah's our legislation guru and we're very lucky to have her on the team. <laughs> but let's talk about your report because it's a good one and it's an important one. Um, casual work... Is, is familiar to most Australians, right? It's usually the way the average person in this country gets an entry into work. Um, it's often an ongoing flexible side hustle for people with commitments like studying or parenting. But it's become a real focal point in Australian political discourse in recent years. Why do you think that is? Yeah, so um, I think it's been a bit of a focal point uh, in for, for Australian politics for for a little while now, and um, probably the last couple of years, there have been some changes to uh, the Fair Work Act, which is our workplace legislation uh, that deals specifically with casuals. Um, we have quite a high percentage of casuals in our in our workforce in Australia. It's it's about one in five, um, and you know you'll hear people say things like, "Oh, it's been that way since the 1990s." Uh, so what's what's the problem? Nothing's changed. How can you, you know, there isn't, if there's a problem now, why hasn't there been a problem since the 90s? Um, I, I would say there has been a problem. Um, but, but when we really get into the details of what's happening within casual employment, that is where we start to see some changes. And so that's what this report really looks at. It looks at um, how casual employees are classified um, and it looks at their experiences in the workplace and how we could really define or classify them um, outside of what you think of when you think of casual employees, like a, a side job or something like that, mm. to something more like a regular job where you have less power, less security, um, often less pay mm. as well uh, than permanent counterparts. Yeah. And you, you make the point at the beginning of your report, and I, it's an important one, um, that Australia's prided itself really on having strong workplace regulations. Our prosperity, our history of egalitarianism was built on uh, the, the, the idea of a fair day's pay for a fair day's work. Um, but what you reveal in this report is that that's less and less true for a growing proportion of workers in the country. 
Yeah, that that that's true. Um, so uh, Australia has a really proud history of uh, industrial relations reform uh, that have been centred around fairness. Mm. So fairness and industrial relations have gone hand in hand uh, for a long time in Australia's history. We've had some really big, uh, significant moments that have changed our industrial relations and our, our, our work workplaces that have been really rooted in in fairness. So the 1907 Harvester decision, all the way to the 2020 aged care work value case. Australia is a rich country. We um, we have a pretty strong economy. Um, uh, we've talked about this on this podcast and in per capita reports as well about, you know, we could have a rich country, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it is um, a country that is free of inequality, mm. wage inequality or wealth inequality or other sorts of inequality. Um, and for a lot of workers in Australia, they're doing it really tough at the moment. Mm. Um, we know that productivity is is high. Uh, it's It's been booming since the 1980s, um, but workers aren't necessarily being equally or adequately rewarded and for that this work. Issue. No, I, I don't think so. And, and, you know, we've got company profits going up, but mm. real wages falling. Mm. Um, uh, and and we see how that has how that shows in 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 our workplaces with more and more Australians working multiple jobs mm. just to survive the cost of living crisis. You know, a job is no longer enough to stave off poverty in our country. Um, That's quite shocking, yeah. I think, for a lot of people that aren't, you know, directly experiencing this themselves. And you make the point in the paper it's a really good one and one that's absolutely central to this debate, which is that having a casual rather than a permanent workforce allows an employer or a business owner to shift the risk of operating a business onto the worker. Can you explain a bit how that happens? Yeah, um, yeah. So I think this is particularly prevalent when we look at certain cohorts, so young people um, or, or women. Casual work has always been um, a type of employment that, that a lot of young people go into. It often it's their their first main job, um, but but the percentage of um, casually employed young people is growing faster than any other cohort. They're stepping into the workforce into um, more insecure work than, say, young people of 20 years ago. And the wage gap between them and their permanent counterparts um, for all other age groups other than 15 to 24, it, there's there's always been a wage gap. But for young casuals, they they often would get a little bit more because we know there's a 25% loading. That's no longer the case. Mm. Um, I, I, I'll talk about that a little bit more later, but I just want to touch on some some of those other cohorts. So there's always been a greater proportion of women who are who are casuals compared to men, but when you dig into that that cohort of women, it shows something else as well, which is that the percentage of women who are part time casuals is much higher. It's higher than the percentage of part time workers in the entire workforce. Mm. Um, so female casuals are 82% are part time compared to uh, 53% or 54% of, of, of male casuals. And we know part-time work you know, can, can be a choice, just like casual work can be a choice, but it often limits opportunities, career advancement and job security and can um, contribute to economic disparities, particularly between genders when, when it is so different between women and men. Mm. A key driver of casualization really came from 
um, this employer demand from a more flexible workforce. And you hear the word flexibility thrown around a lot. You do. Casuals like flexibility. Employers like flexibility. It's flexibility for everybody, and that's what's so great about casual work. Um, but it doesn't seem that the flexibility that employers get is quite equal to the flexibility that employees get in in casual employment. I'm shocked um, to hear that. <laughs> so, you know, with all forms of insecure work, it's it's essentially, it's a tool that businesses can use to shift that operating risk onto their workers, that uh, the, the operating of their profit-making enterprises. Mm. Um, so when you have a permanent workforce, you've got to manage those risks and that falls with the employer. But when you are able to over-utilise or utilise a casualized workforce, um, when there are... Um, times of less work mm -hmm. it's really easy just to to drop employees mm. um and uh back, back to that point of you know that the percentage of casuals within the workforce remaining relatively stable since the since 1992 mm -hmm. um when we look into particular industries we see some pretty interesting things so uh for example healthcare kind of a good example of this. So just, just in the last little while between 2016 and 2020, 21% of healthcare and social assistant industry workers were casual. That's that stayed the same. It's stayed pretty much 21%. Mm. Um, but there has been an increase in that industry share of the entire casual cohort. So that's gone from just under 12% to just over 14% mm. from 2016 to what that indicates is that we're relying more on casual workers within that industry uh, relative to other types of employment in that industry and, and that's concerning in it's concerning in all industries mm -hmm. but it's particularly concerning in an industry that we rely on um, for our healthcare and social yeah. assistance yeah. Um, these are people who you know, save lives and can't even offer them a decent secure job it's yeah they're part of the foundations of our society, the people we rely on when we're sick or to care for our children or care for our uh, elderly loved ones, and they're increasingly underpaid. They have very poor job security. And we saw this during the pandemic, right, where you had aged care workers being, you know, forced to kind of go to work when they were sick, work multiple different locations, spreading the illness because they simply didn't have permanent shifts and, perm and enough, enough work to, to maintain their income. That's right. The COVID pandemic shone a pretty awful light on, on some of the bigger issues with casual employment. Um, so casual employees, uh, about half of them had been with their employer for at least 12 months and were initially, they initially would be eligible for that really important JobKeeper payment that kept so many people from slipping under in those early months of the pandemic. Um, but many of them weren't, even though over 80% of casuals expected to be with their employer for the next 12 months before the pandemic hit. Um, so what that says to us is here, here are this large group of workers, easy to get rid of in times of crisis, i.e. the COVID pandemic, and they were. Casual employees were sacked by the... Yeah tens of thousands yeah. um, overnight, terrifyingly, particularly before JobKeeper came in and, mm -hmm. and businesses were um, getting concerned about what the future looked like. And that's a really good example of, of the difference between the, those two types of flexibility, the worker flexibility and the employer flexibility. Yeah. Um, there's often, you know, we talk about casuals as if they, um, you know, can choose whether to work or not. And that's one of the perks of being casual. But um, when we look at some 
industries or some some industries where there are large groups of casual, say um, education, tertiary education. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have never known my university tutors to be able to call in and decide they don't want to take a shift. Yes. You know, so it's all um, predetermined. Yeah. Oh, I, I, most, I guess I, I don't think I'll do the exams today. I, yes. I I don't feel like it. I'll come to work next week. That's right. And and even in even in you know retail, hospitality, um, and those care jobs, like you say, that that where we s- tend to see a concentration of casual work. Anyone who's had a casual job knows you say no to a shift, you might not get another one, right? Yeah, yeah. And so that 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 turns into what we've kind of found in this report. We were looking a bit at the definition of ca- casual employee um, and what it, what it says on paper mm. uh, and what it actually is. Um, and we found that uh, casual employment is... Th- is a hazard, is a, is a, is a safety hazard for a, a lot of people. It means um, uh, people are less likely to speak up about safety concerns, they're less likely to speak up about particularly sexual harassment concerns for that exact same reason, that mm-hmm. fear um, of, of not getting re-employed or not continuing work. Yeah. Um, it is much more important for an employee to stay in work than for an employer to keep that particular individual in a job. Mm, absolutely. And and I think that's a really interesting aspect of, of your report that you've you've looked at that. You know, we think about the impact on casual workers of having lower pay or less regularity of shifts or less reliable income. But that aspect that shows that it also creates less security and less certainty in their workplace. So they're much less likely to complain when something goes wrong, to speak up if they're harassed or injured or mm. hurt at work. Yeah, definitely. Um, and you touched there on, on on lower pay, so that's that's an interesting one. So, um, yeah, so a lot of this report aren't, aren't the casual workers meant to get five percent? Yeah, Sarah. Yeah. So, so I, I mean, a lot of this work is based on um, ABS data, Australian Bureau of Statistics, and that data um, defines a casual as somebody who doesn't have paid leave, mm. so somebody without paid leave, which is a good indicator. It's not perfect, but it's a really good indicator of who is casually employed and, and who's a permanent employee. Um, and that means you, your annual leave, your sick leave and your yeah. carer's leave. Um, interestingly, though, long service leave is um, applicable for casuals. And you might think, oh, well, why would a casual need long service <laughs> leave? But actually, um, before the pandemic, 15% of, of casuals had been with their employer for um, for more than six years. So mm-hmm. uh, many casuals are eligible for long service leave, which seems a bit weird that we call them casuals. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so to make up for that, that lack of leave, casuals will generally get a 25% loading on their hourly rate. And so, yeah, you'd think hour by hour, casuals are going to get more money. And you often hear people, um, uh, particularly um, young people, they're doing their secondary job. Um, maybe even some listeners themselves will know, um, you know, sometimes it, it could be good to be casual because you get a little boost and you're not going to stay there for very long anyway. And it's and you don't need annual leave because it's a it's a short job. But that's not actually the case. The, the opposite is true. Uh, casual employees don't earn more hour by hour if we look at it across the entire workforce. Mm. Actually, across the entire workforce, they receive $11.40 less on average um, uh, per hour than permanent counterparts. And that's that's a 28% pay gap. Yeah. Um, and that's a pay gap that's climbing. So again, when you hear people say, and you will over the next six months as this issue um, gets debated in Parliament, that you don't have an issue with casual employees, actually um, the percentage of casual employees has dipped a little bit 
when you hear that, you think, okay, sure, but what is casual employment today versus mm -hmm. what casual employment was in the 1990s? Mm -hmm. And what it is today is a rising pay gap between permanent and non-permanent employees. Mm -hmm. Um, we know from your report, you touch on this a little bit that the the you know we know that one of the reasons is those loadings just aren't being paid at twenty five percent as the public expects that they are or believes that they are. Um, but also one of the reasons for lower income or lower wages for casual workers is they're much less likely, again because of all of those insecurity pressures, to be a member of their union. And we know that unionised workers tend to get better pay outcomes over time. Yeah, yeah, that's that's true. That is one indicator. So, um, you know, as I said, that gap is across the entire workforce. Um, it might not be two employees working side by side, um, uh, but but that gap also exists across industries, across occupations, across ages, and across skill levels as well. Um, so, so, so there is a gap everywhere. And look, there are instances where people are working side by side and not getting, um, and casuals are getting paid less. We see it in labour hire. That's mm -hmm. one of the big issues that, that sort of ties into this as well, where mm -hmm. a large amount of labour hire employees are casual employees um, and they may work on sites or they may work at workplaces where there's an enterprise agreement in place um, where wages are higher per hour, um, but they're able to be brought in and paid on the award. Mm -hmm. um, and that, yeah, ties into the, 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 the kind of low power that we talk about in the report. Whilst, you know, one in five employees in Australia are casually employed, they actually make up half of all award-dependent employees. Um, since 2010, that share of employees who are award-dependents really uh, boomed. Um, and for, for casuals, it's increasing almost three times faster than for permanents. Um, so half of them are now award-dependent. Um, why are they on award? Well, one reason is is because they are not uh, they don't have the power in their workplaces to um, negotiate enterprise agreements, and and part of that is because they are less likely to be union members. Um, only 3.7% of casual employees were union members in 2022, compared to 15.2% um, uh, of permanent employees. And union members, on average. They earn nine dollars and fifty cents more than non-union members, so that's wow. that's an indicator of it. But that also ties into safety and being able to speak up and being supported in the workplace. Mm. Um, there could be fear around joining a union, or there could be fear around organising um, because of of that always constant understanding that you can be dropped at any moment and that it will be difficult to show. Um, that you were dismissed unfairly, yeah. uh, or that it was because of because of something that you did, something that might might be covered in our Fair Work Act. Might you might be able to um, make a successful claim that it was because you were a member of a union or because you were a delegate, but that might be incredibly difficult because of the way that you're employed. Um, and also, we're talking about lower paid workers. We're talking about people who um, may not have the resources to pursue a claim, but also the time to pursue a claim you know it may be much more likely to say okay lost this one got to move on because bills rent yeah and also food. the experience and the confidence right because as you point out and I, I you, you've talked a bit about how women are much more likely to be casuals and we said at the start it's seen as the entryway to work for young Australians right but we're seeing more and more younger people and by that I don't mean teenagers I mean people um, up to the age of 40, working in casual jobs right into their 30s. 
um, and they don't have that experience, that confidence in the labour market to advocate for themselves. But it actually means that people without a reliable income, our entire financial system is still based on the fact that you can service a loan, right, that you've got the income to do so if you want to buy a house and start a family. This is having an impact on a generation of people, isn't it, and their ability to confidently plan for their future. Okay, so to, to be really clear, we're not saying that uh, casual uh, employment shouldn't be allowed in Australia. It absolutely serves a purpose. It serves a purpose for, for employers. It serves a purpose for workers. Um, but what, what we are saying in the report and what we're recommending is some changes to our Fair Work Act, some changes to the way that we um, can classify casuals. Um, so as I said before, employees without paid leave, that's how the ABS measures it. But that's that's not the definition of casual. The definition of casual um, has changed mm. over the last couple of years, but up until a change in 2021, um, casual employees were uh, determined by their ordinary meaning under the common law. Um, so like like employee under the Act, which will also be something um, that I'm sure will be front and centre over the next six months as the uh, government goes ahead with trying to implement some of their um, workplace changes. Um, uh, but up until 2021, casual employment, the essence of casualness was um, having an absence of a firm advance commitment as to the duration of, of a worker's work. Um, and it still uh, is that. It's still a, a, an absence of a firm advance commitment, but the way that it is uh, written in our Fair Work Act is that it's based on um, you're a casual employee if you accept an offer of employment right. uh, made by an employer on the basis of a of the, that they make no firm advance commitment. Um, and so it is centred around the, the offer, the contract of employment. Now, previously, a contract that labelled a worker as a casual, it's a it's a really good indicator that the worker is a casual. I, I, I read a contract, I sign it, I say, yes, I'm a casual, I'm probably a casual, that's what you would think. But it, it, does, um, it does kind of fail to take into account that inherent power imbalance between workers and, employee, um, sorry, and employers and, you know, your ability to negotiate at that starting point, particularly when we're saying, okay, there's one in every two young people who are in work are casually employed. I mean, I am, um, I'm 30 and, and I would still be terrified starting a new job and trying to um, negotiate my, my wages by myself. I can't imagine that I would ever do that um, if I was a teenager or if I was um, at university and if I needed, needed a job. So what we're, what, what we're recommending um, is that we return to having an objective assessment of, of casual employee. What we're saying, and it's, a, I think, a good, a good point to emphasise, is the, the nature of the Fair Work Act at the moment, if you sign a contract and say, OK, I'm happy to take this job on a casual basis, that's it, right? That's it, no matter what happens. Your boss can offer you that casual contract and then, and then give you the same exact hours every week, week on week, Mm-hmm. Um, for, and, and no flexibility whatsoever, but the contract says you're a casual. So what you're suggesting is that we return to a situation where, where the Fair Work Commission can look at that and say, well, actually, you may have signed that person up as a casual, but you're treating them like a permanent employee and you're expecting them to behave like a permanent employee. 
Yeah, yeah. So considering whether that intent in the contracts that's been put into practice mm-hmm. and if it's been achieved and if it's been maintained over time as well, jobs change over time. Um, uh, so yes, that's that's absolutely what we are what we're advocating for. Uh, it it is a much fairer way to assess a work relationship actually looking at the work relationship wow um and it doesn't give employers as much power to say you are this and you will remain this Mm. um potentially people can be locked into uh casual contracts indefinitely Mm. or until they get a new contract Mm. um uh, which is a really big problem. Now, with that change, I, I, I will say the, 20, uh, the 2021 amendment to the Fair Work Act that did have a new universal casual conversion right, yeah. but the provisions are not robust. Um, and they also carve out, like lots of the Act does, small business. Mm. Um, so, and uh, we should note that small businesses employ a large amount of casuals. Most casuals are employed in small businesses. And so that's a problem for a universal right that half of casuals can't even try to access. Um, But then say say you are in a workplace that isn't a small business, you you come across a whole lot of other hurdles along the way. Now it's only been in for a little while. um, So it, it could be argued that it hasn't been enough time to be able to see how well it works. But so far, um, it hasn't seemed to mm. be making any significant change mm. to the amount of casuals who have converted successfully to permanent positions. Mm. Because again, it places the, the the power or maybe a disproportionate amount of power with employers to say, well, we have a reasonable grounds, so we this would require a significant adjustment yeah. in our workplace. So, so we won't do it. So, I think, um, and let's that's one of the key recommendations you've made in your report. Um, and just to sort of give our audience an idea of what, why are we doing this? Um, these IR laws are coming before the Parliament in this, in this part of the year, in the next few months. Um, there'll be there already is kind of ridiculously hyperbolic pushback from parts of the business community saying you know these these laws are going to uh, rob us of the ability to pay you when you do a good job and and that kind of thing, um, which you've exposed in this report as pretty. Um, uh, like I said, hyperbolic. Um, and certainly what you're trying to do with this is is set things out clearly so that people can understand exactly what's at stake in this uh, legislative argument. What are some of the other key recommendations that you've made in your research? Yeah, so, so along with uh, change to the definition, um, it is just giving the Fair Work Commission powers to quickly sort out disputes. As I touched on before, um, like we are... The Fair Work Commission means that you can deal with quite a lot of uh, disputes in your workplace in um, a relatively low-cost avenue, which is excellent. Um, But uh, but by giving them kind of further powers to to sort out a dispute over who is and who isn't a casual, um, it means that workers won't have to resort to more expensive litigations where, you know, those who have the most money win. Mm. Um, and also giving the Fair Work Commission further powers to arbitrate disputes over casual conversions. So at the moment, as with a lot of provisions in the Fair Work Act, yeah. arbitration is something that uh, the Fair Work Commission can do, but 
parties must enter into it voluntarily. And the problem with that is if you're an employer and you don't want to have the Fair Work Commission tell you what you should and shouldn't do, then you don't volunteer to enter into arbitration and you go through a conciliation process, which is also, you know, an alternative dispute resolution, but um, doesn't come out with a binding ruling or award. Yeah. So, well, it's an important contribution, I think, to a conversation that we're going to increasingly be having over coming months. I mean, the whole political debate at the moment seems taken up with the voice and the issue of housing. (laughs) We're very uh, involved in the the latter end, but obviously support enormously at per capita uh, a a yes vote in a referendum. Um, We're doing a lot of work in the Centre for Equitable Housing on the housing policy challenges. But this is a really important piece of legislation. One of the things that this Labor government ran on successfully, I think, was wage growth and restoring some fairness to the industrial relations system. Um, And the Minister, Tony Burke, seems pretty determined to get this legislation through Parliament. Um, So I know um, that, you know, you're pretty passionate about these issues, Sarah. Do you think it's going to get ugly out there over coming months? Yes, I do. (laughs) There's something about industrial relations that just makes people go crazy. It's like the sky is falling in. Last year, the sky was falling in because we were changing some rules around multi-employer bargaining. And I mean, pretty modest tweaks to what what would be um, uh, some, some changes to try to make it easier for people to bargain. And we're basically told that the whole economy was going to fall over because of this. And that's not been a driver to why we've been having problems with our economy. No. Um, uh, but, yes, I do. I, I, I do think so. I think we will um, have some, uh, I think the areas where, where we will have some of our biggest fights are around um, definitions yeah. of things. Mm. Um, there are a number of, of reforms that the government is proposing and they do all sort of touch each other. Um, so how do we deal with um, uh, gig workers if we don't if we don't deal with the definition of employee? How do we deal with the definition of employee if we don't think about the definition of casual employee? And then how do we solve same job, same pay mm-hmm. um, if it is so easy to keep people in casual work forever? Yeah. Um, will, will, will we see raising casual employment rates if 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 we don't fix this as well so they all touch each other it's one big moving cog that I am absolutely confident people are going to be putting sticks in mm-hmm. everywhere they can mm-hmm. um there's that and I, I I very much expect that we will hear a lot about um small businesses mm-hmm. um and uh small businesses and why they shouldn't uh have to do the same things as other businesses and there are absolutely some areas where um where the Fair Work Act makes sense with small businesses, but my, in in my opinion, and when we're dealing with with casual employees, you know, if you if you can't run your business without uh, treating your employees with the same sort of fairness and dignity that they respect, then perhaps you shouldn't have a business. Maybe it's not for you. We've made this point many times at Per Capita. If your business model relies on wage theft or the underpayment of wages or pushing all of the risk of 
of changing uh, changing circumstances onto your staff rather than onto your ability to make profit, then perhaps your business model isn't quite as strong as it should be. Um, Sarah, it's a fantastic report. You've done um, amazing work with it and it is an area, obviously, uh, that we want to see uh, come to fruition, these changes that are being pursued through the parliament. We don't think they'll make everything perfect, um, but they're a good step in the right direction and of and of restoring... Australia to what it said on the tin, which was that we were the land of the fair go. That's gone uh, too far by the wayside in recent years, yeah? Yeah, I, I agree. I, um, I think that each little step that we take in the right direction is, is better than nothing and it might be dissatisfying sometimes. I have been dissatisfied sometimes. Um, uh, but but it is a very polarising issue and we need to bring people along with us. And maybe that does mean taking little steps, but but being very clear that this is one step um, to be followed by another step, to be followed by another, that, that we need to reform this over time and change the way that we, um, that we value an employee versus an employer, mm -hmm. a business versus the, the, the human machinery that run that business. The human capital that, that makes their profits in the first place. Sarah, thank mm -hmm. you. And thanks for the thank fantastic you. work you do at Per Capita. I'd just like to emphasise as well, Sarah's the person that knocks most of our submissions to parliamentary inquiries and other important fora in which we get to discuss our ideas directly with policymakers together. We're very lucky to have you at Per Capita. So thank you. Thank you. That's all we've got time for, I'm afraid today on recap thank you for joining us to all of our listeners and if you'd like to learn more about this report head over to percapita.org.au also we'll be taking part in the 45th alp national conference fringe program in coming days so we'll be delivering presentations on the australian inequality index i'll be doing that on thursday the 17th with Andrew Lee, MP, and then our Centre for Equitable Housing is hosting a panel on what works really in the rental market on Friday morning. So you can register your interest in Fringe at the ALP Fringe website or keep an eye on our social media and our website for updates. But that's it for today. Join us next time when we continue on recap to examine inequality and work together towards a fairer Australia. <laughs>